You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome once again to the Revision Path Podcast, episode 59. My name is Maurice Cherry, and this is the last interview of 2014. We've really come such a long way since launching the podcast in March. Just want to thank everyone that's listening. Thank you so much for tuning in, for downloading, for spreading the word about the podcast. It really, really means a lot. Before we kick things off, I just want to make one last mention about our audience survey. Head over to revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Fill that out. You'll be entered to win a $100 Amazon.com gift card. Uh, The survey closes on Wednesday. That's New Year's Eve. So if you haven't taken it yet, please do so before Wednesday. Like I said, your feedback is really, really important. Funding for Revision Path comes from three amazing companies, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp takes all the hassle out of email marketing. When you run a small business, or as a freelancer, for example, you need to have an email list so you can alert your customers on when you'll be out for holiday hours, let them know about new products and services, things of that nature. And MailChimp makes all of that really easy. You can create a sign-up form, add it to your website, start collecting emails, start building your list. And you know, MailChimp is not too bad on sending emails either, which is pretty good. Uh, Set up your free account today and give it a try, MailChimp.com. When you're looking for the best place to register a domain name, you ask the people who know a lot about domains, and that's Hover. Last week, I mentioned uh, this new blog that I'm starting at the first of the year. So I went ahead and bought the domain the other day, and I'm sort of getting everything set up for it right now. You can purchase your domain today and use our promo code NIA, that's N-I-A, and save 10% off your first purchase. Hover.com, they've got you covered. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. You got a few more days to get in on their Pay It Forward charity bundle I've been mentioning. And of course, because today is Monday, they've got free goods for you to download. Head on over to creativemarket.com, check all that out. This week's episode is sponsored by Jonathan Conway. Thanks a lot, Jonathan, for sponsoring the show. I really appreciate it. Revision Path is also excited to partner with Lesbians Who Tech for the 2015 Lesbians Who Tech Summit in San Francisco. Save 25% off registration with the code LWTREVPATH. You'll uh, see that code also in the show notes. All right, now let's get on with this week's interview. When I asked graphic designer and entrepreneur Ariana Farkason about advice for upcoming designers, here's what she had to say. Um, you need to be curious, like extremely curious. Um, when I when I was working um, in the studio, I worked a lot with interns. And so one of the things that we would always stress is, even if somebody doesn't tell you something, you should, you should be so concerned with wanting to know um, how and what and when and why that you just go out and, and find it for yourself um, and then share it with others. This is Revision Path. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I am Ariana Farkason. I am an entrepreneur and I am also do freelance graphic design. How did you get started with freelance graphic design? I had really done it or probably started in, in college. Just as well, number one in college, I had like 15 jobs or whatever. And oh, really? So, I mean, I was always working. And obviously, as a design student, that was just kind of one of the obvious things to do is freelance. But um, 
you know, a little bit more seriously later on, especially, you know, since I re- resigned from my job to kind of pursue these entrepreneurial ventures, I was like, well, I uh, probably need to, you know, do some more of that. And so it was kind of natural. I felt like that's what design students did to earn a little extra cash. So I certainly want to explore that about kind of resigning from your job and starting your own business, because that's that's how I started my business, too. <laughs> <laughs> It was in the same fashion. Like I, I quit, I think. No, I did quit. I quit the day that I got my paycheck, like my last oh, wow. paycheck. And then I started my business the next day. So I definitely want to explore that. But yeah. let's go back to, to college. How was your time at, uh, at North Carolina State? That's where you went, right? Yeah, it was great. Overall, it was a really great experience. And I'm glad I went there. I met some really great people. You know, like you know, we had mentioned earlier, you know, I met Brittany Davis there and, you know, we're still friends. And so I really built a, you know, a supportive group of uh, designer friends, as I call them. And they've also become life friends. And it was just overall a really good experience. Now, after you graduated college, tell me about the first design job that you had. The first design job, I think there was like maybe about a three month period in between my graduation and finding my first professional, you know, superficial design job. I worked at a a really great company called Complex Creative in Durham, black owned. And I actually found them via Twitter. I was actually like a Twitter critic at first. I was like, I'm not joining Twitter. But (laughs) almost like almost as soon as I joined Twitter, you know, I had seen that, you know, they were having a, you know, a call for you know, graphic designer. And, and so far, my, my luck was kind of running out as far as finding something. And so, you know, I just tweeted them back. And I actually met the, the principal while I was in college. And, I, you know, just never really made that connection for some reason. But I tweeted him and I was like, you know, are you still looking? And he's like, yeah. So, you know, I sent him my, my work. And from there, it was good to go. How was that experience at Complex? It was awesome. And, uh, and I'm sure anyone who's listening is probably like, well, if it was awesome, then, you know, why did you resign? But and we can touch on that a little bit later. But it was great. It's a small studio it's in Durham, which is really kind of an, from what I can tell, kind of an unsung place where really awesome things happen as far as creative goes and technology and, you know, young, vibrant communities. But so, yeah, I started, you know, just from the bottom as production designer or something like that and working on, you know, smaller projects. And we were a very family oriented kind of studio. And, and for me, at least I thought I, they kind of encouraged me to break out of my shell probably sooner than I had wanted to, but it was very tight knit. We really enjoyed each other. The work was good. I was progressing pretty quickly. And so it was, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was like really great. So you said that Durham is kind of unsung for tech. Why, why would you say that? Well, I don't know if sometimes I feel like there's just not enough of enough of Durham, what Durham is doing mentioned and not that it hasn't been mentioned because it definitely has. But I almost mm-hmm. want to see like more coverage of what's going on there and, you know, in places like TechCrunch. And actually they were mentioned in TechCrunch for what was it? The, the world's smallest office, which is actually a project that I worked on at, at Complex Creative. And so I've just always wanted to hear more about it and what they're doing. There's like the the, um, the underground community and there's just a lot of great tech. So to me, it's almost like a mini Silicon Valley type place. And so I just, I'm looking forward to seeing more Durham, you know, and, and big media coverage. 
isn't Durham like part of the the research triangle yes. area? Yes, it is. I feel like in the South, there's a lot of little like pockets yeah. of, of good design towns, but a lot of people may not really hear about it because I think one, it's a small town. True. And two, it's in the South. Yeah. And people don't, don't really look there. Maybe they don't expect to find that kind of thing there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So when you say earlier that you had sort of left your job and then you decided to start your business, was that complex that you left from? Yes. So what was the, the impetus behind that? <laughs> really, it was, it was all me. It had very little to do with anything that happened at Complex. Like I said, it was a great experience. But one thing that I'm very hard on myself, and so one thing was I never want to get to a place where I'm too comfortable or in a position where I feel like I'm doing too well. And that's not to brag. It's just I always have to be pushing myself. And honestly, I never expected, I always knew that I wanted to start my own business, but I never expected to to have that urge so soon. And so I, I mean, the urge was really just kind of overwhelming me while I was there. And it became kind of like this internal battle of like, you know, do I leave a really good position mm-hmm. and, you know, pursue my dream? Or, you know, do I stay and, and kind of risk maybe never actually going for it because, uh, again, I'm getting too comfortable. And so I decided that I didn't want to have any regrets about my life or the choices that I made. And, and I didn't want to become too complacent. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to follow my heart. And, you know, I'm, you know, I believe in God. And so I kind of felt like he was kind of calling me to go now. And so it was a huge step of faith. I had no idea what would happen next. Mm-hmm. I was really not even prepared. I just knew that I wanted to follow my gut. I wanted to, you know, step out on faith and just try it. For people that are listening, especially for those that might be thinking about sort of starting their own business and feel like they have to have all their ducks in a row, like they've got to have the money right and they've got to have other things going before they really make that step. You know, like you said, it really is a leap of faith. Like you have to sort of step out and just do it because there's never I think there's never going to be the best time to start your own business. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just have to if you have that feeling burning inside you, you kind of have to just take, take it. it. Yeah. So you left Complex. You started your own business. Can you tell us about that? Sure. The business is called Curative. It's it's a news feed for what I'm calling diversity and, in, and innovation and creative culture. And so I started it for a number of reasons. One is, you know, I've always, to me, there's always been this lack of really good media coverage on underserved or underrepresented or misrepresented professionals in the creative industries Um, and also their audiences, because, you know, anyone who's in the creative industry knows that your audiences are pretty much who you're serving most of the time. And so there is, for me, there's this need to have that in one place. And, you know, some of the big, you know, news places that you go to, whether it's Fast Company or something like that, or Smashing Magazine, you don't really get that. There's not that really, that cultural appeal. And so I remember when I was in college, that was a huge issue for me because, you know, NC State is, what's called a predominantly, you know, white college or institution. And, and then on top of that, the College of Design is small and, 
there's a, only a handful of people of color and it's a it's just a super competitive program and so i was the only african american female in my graduating class and, wow. and one of two blacks in my graduating class and so for me cuz identity was also always excuse me, always important to me and so uh-huh. that who I was, where I came from, my culture, always kind of informed what I made. And so kind of like searching for, okay, well, what are African-Americans in graphic design doing and what does their work look like and how do they find their inspiration? It was very difficult to find all of that. You know, it wasn't in the textbooks, you know, it really wasn't covered on, on the websites that, you know, we used to frequent in design school. No one really talked about it in design circles and I know when you, you spoke with um, Brittany Davis, she mentioned AADSA, the African American Design Students Association. And that was really the only place where I could go, and I'm sure my peers could go, where you felt like there was that intersection of culture and creativity or culture and what you're studying, whether it's industrial design, product design. And so coming back to Curative, I kind of started it, like I said, as a way to make it easier to find stories like New Me Accelerator and what's that, what, what that's doing for African-Americans who want to have tech startups. And, you know, Tristan Walker and his Walker and Company kind of becoming the next Procter & Gamble and having a focus on audiences of color and just sort of focusing on all these stories and, and really building a narrative for narratives that we don't hear often, um, whether it's good or bad. So um, that's really the primary drive behind Curative. It's just, like I said, being a, a news resource for, you know, that kind of feeds those conversations. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think is interesting uh, about what you're doing in particular is that I feel like it's part of a succession of other types of projects, because I think in, in the past there have been other I wouldn't say they're, they're similar just to what you're doing in Scope, but like I think of Rushmore Drive, for example, yeah. which was the, the search engine Actually, for African-American. Oh, you did? I was an intern there, yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Small world. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> but then there's also other sites. There's uh, there's like Black Web 2.0. Right. I'm trying to think of some other ones off the top of my head. There's, there's Revision Path. Yeah. But there are other, you know, there's like those other, I guess, places that are kind of doing similar types yeah. of things. But what I think the key is, you know, to make sure that it's kind of a sustainable thing is that we all sort of work together yes, I agree. because the, because these types of, of efforts, unfortunately, can't be done in a vacuum. Right. We can't have all these little sort of disparate kind of projects. It's sort of like you. Are you familiar with the movie Soul Food? Yes. And so, you know, when Big Mama says like the family, you know, got to be that fist. Yeah. Like we got to be that fist, you know, like we have to you know, work together and pool resources and kind of share the work that we're doing with, exactly. with other things. Because that's how we all end up kind of growing and building. Yes. So with Curative, how long have you been uh, doing it? It's been on my mind for maybe like a year and a half, but I've actually didn't really start working on it until, you know, when I left and I, I left um, this past May. And that's when I just kind of went full force into it because it didn't it didn't start off, you know, as the news feed that I'm talking about. It was really originally going to be just a magazine and um, actually a literary arts magazine. And, you know, after talking with, you know, some people, it 
transformed it into something else. And the more I thought about it, and then, you know, the more I did research, you know, it kind of took on a slightly different life, I guess. So is it sort of like in the beta stages right now? Yes. Is that a good way to describe it? Yes. We're actually going to be launching the beta version next Monday. So. Oh, wow. I'm super stressed about it, but um, yeah, that'll that'll be its like very first release, and we're just gonna yeah allow people to test it out. I'm happy to send you an invite, and I'm gonna invite some other people. And yeah, I would love to because actually by the time this publishes, it'll already be live. Okay, Curative will be live. So yeah, I totally would like to check it sure. out. Where do you see it going from here? Like now that you're about to launch the beta, where would you ultimately like to see it be? I have a lot of ideas for it. Um, I do have to be careful about how many I share, but... Uh, oh, no, no, no. I, I completely understand. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, I would like for it to just be like the go-to site for you know what I'm calling diverse perspectives in creative industries. And when I say diverse perspectives, that's, I'll say this. There's, I think... I think a new director of diversity or somebody was hired at Facebook recently. Her name is Maxine Williams, I believe. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but she talks about or she defines something called cognitive diversity. I believe that's what she calls it. And it's this idea that, you know, people come from different walks of life and they bring all these different ideas especially to a creative problem. And they just so happen to be intertwined with things like race and gender and all of that. So, yeah, so it would just be a, a go-to site for all of these different perspectives to kind of come together on, excuse me, topics that we kind of deem are important. I talked, I think this was maybe a few weeks ago, I talked with the director of product design at Facebook. And she was, her name is Maria, I forget her last, Maria G., I forget the last name, but I talked with her and I know that she was sort of mentioning how, you know, it's important that Facebook kind of get in on the conversation when it comes to diversity in the graphic design field, which completely blew my mind because she found out about me through the work I was on with her vision path and with AIGA. And she's like, yeah, we want to find out how Facebook can sort of help out with that because we can't be this global company with this global reach and we're not helping to kind of solve these types of problems, which I thought that's that's amazing. Yeah. You know, the fact that Facebook wants to kind of get behind it and help out, I yeah, think it's a really, really is a really good thing. So there's always all this talk about, you know, diversity in um, the different design fields. There's diversity in tech and, and things like that. What are some ways that you think the community can sort of increase diversity given sort of these present challenges that we have? I think there are a number of ways. The the first that comes to mind immediately, and this is kind of from the perspective of underserved populations. I was mm-hmm. reading an article on Facebook. I can't remember who published it. It's probably good because I don't want to put them on blast. But they kind of picked on the Smith, the Smith children for how they were talking about science or something like that. And they were saying they, they called it weird the way that they were talking about it. And so one way that I think that the community can encourage, you know, its children and to go into or to pursue, you know, some of these fields is to not call things weird or to not say, oh, you're not going to make a lot of money off of that. And to just sort of not place those limitations on them early on. And I think, you know, my parents did a really good job of really encouraging me to do anything I want to. I mean, they obviously they're concerned about, you know, make sure you make some money because, you you know, you do want to have financial security. But I know my whole family was very supportive and 
anything any of you know me or my cousins wanted to do. So I think from that perspective, it's really important that we don't place limitations, you know, on what youth can do. Other thing, or one other way that I think that we can encourage that, and this is talked about a lot in the tech industry, but it can really apply to anything really, is education, like actually when you're in school. So I know my friends and I, we talked about some things that we felt like we were missing, especially in college. And one of them is, there's this idea that if you're in a design field, your only options are to either practice or teach. And not that those things are bad, it's just that they're very limiting. And so if I want to practice or teach, I'm not really thinking about working. I'm probably not even looking at Silicon Valley, especially if I'm an African-American female, because one, I already know that it's, it might be difficult for me to, you know, uh, there's, there's no really clear route for me to get there. And so a lot of it is either, you know, you kind of have to drive yourself there or you have to have the right connections. And so I think education play, plays a huge role in kind of revealing some of those paths and how students can get there. And then on the other side, you know, it's the companies themselves encouraging or looking in the right places and not limiting, we're looking and really making concerted efforts to to pull people from different backgrounds. And I, I also think one misconception that I've heard from therein as well is, well, you know, is there as much talent there? And the answer is yes, there's as much talent there. It's just that you don't hear about it. Like you said, sometimes where things are happening in pockets, but we're not, those little pockets aren't really connecting to each other. And so it might not be making a big enough splash. And so, you know, and then that, you know, becomes a discussion about, okay, collaboration. We need more collaborative efforts to, you know, let people know that there's a lot of talent where you're not looking. So, yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, sort of what you're talking about is, is what people sort of refer to as like the pipeline problem. Yeah. Where, you know, of course, we have to look at the next generation coming up and teach them and make them interested in design and technology, et cetera. But they rarely talk about the other side, which is sort of what the current industry looks like. Right. I usually say, like, it, it does these kids a disservice if you give them all this information and they come into this industry where there's still these same kind of social limitations yeah. and mores and non-inclusive companies. You know, it just sort of perpetuates the problem. So I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned kind of both ends of that. Sort of to, I guess, continue on that a little bit, what sort of skills do you think designers need in this current market? <laughs> I think you definitely need to have a lot of self-motivation. I'm not sure if that's the word I'm looking for, but you need to be curious, like extremely curious. When I was working in the studio, I worked a lot with interns. And so one of the things that we would always stress is, even if somebody doesn't tell you something, you should be so concerned with wanting to know how and what and when and why that you just go out and, and find it for yourself and then share it with others. So I think curiosity is really important, self-motivation. Also, making sure that you, you're remaining competitive. And so it's, you know, constantly looking at, you know, what others are doing and not as, and it's, it's not to like get you down or anything. It's just to make sure that, like I said, you are giving people the reason to look out for you and, you know, making someone sweat a little bit or making one, someone say, oh my goodness, I want this person. And yeah. What keeps you motivated and inspired to continue the work you do? Family is a, is a really big deal for me. One of the other reasons why I decided to move back to Charlotte 
because I, I knew that I would need their support and their closeness. So they definitely keep me motivated. Stories and even hearing stories about family members I've never met from long ago. It's a huge motivation. And then also my faith keeps me motivated. So I'd say family. And, and like I said, I'm I'm pretty good at self-motivating. So sometimes even the thought of like, you know, today sucks. Like this past weekend just freaking sucked for me. And I was just all down in the dumps. But just the idea that, you know, I don't want to be here forever and I'm not going to be here forever. That sometimes I can motivate myself that way. So, yeah. How do you get your creativity back at those times when you might not feel so inspired? Usually if I'm feeling uninspired in one area. So let's say I, you know, I sit down to work on a freelance project and I'm just I'm completely drained. I'll switch over to something like writing. My first passion was reading and writing. And so sometimes I'll find it there. Sometimes it's even just reading a book. And so there's like all these different creative avenues that I feel like I have, or sometimes I'll, you know, hop online and be inspired by what someone else is doing. Sometimes I'm inspired by, you know, what my sister's doing or someone in my family who, you know, just achieved an excellent, you know, milestone that motivates me and gives me inspiration. Did you have any mentors when you were coming up, like in high school, college, et cetera? In college, I would say yes. I had, I don't know that I call them mentors. I kind of, most of them I called like my other mothers. And they were very supportive. I mean, like I said, they, you know, if my mother physically couldn't be there, they would be there for me. As far as, I guess, the business mentors, not really. They were kind of more life mentors, always keeping me encouraged. Mm-hmm. And then again, just, you know, my design friends kind of keep each other encouraged and I think we're always inspired by what each other is doing so so you kind of pick up a little bit from everywhere sort of yeah definitely I got you what's been the most useful advice that you've gotten as it relates to your career for me it's an answer it may not be what you're looking for but no my my dad even though he's (laughs) he can be kind of complicated but he does say a lot of good things and it's really it's his advice is a lot of times more personal, but I tend to attach it to like everything I'm doing. So Mm -hmm. he'll say this thing where it's like, if me and my sister say, you know, that we feel like we can't do something or we feel like we're not good at something, you know, he'll say, how does he word it? He'll say something like, what is your last name? And we'll say Farkasin and he'll be like, you know, that's why you can do it. And so that's kind (laughs) of that whole, like, that's, really describes in a nutshell kind of where I draw a lot of my inspiration from because I know that I have a legacy of doing really Mm -hmm. cool things. And so that's kind of something that sticks with me. Well, yeah, like you said earlier, your family is sort of what keeps you motivated. Yeah, definitely. And now you said that you moved back to Charlotte. What is sort of the the tech and design scene like there for you? Well, I have to be honest. I have been inside of my at-home studio, so I, I haven't done as much research into like what's going on locally. So I'm definitely behind the eight ball on that. But I've done a little bit of looking. Um, I know the design scene is picking up just from you know a couple of things I've heard. And I'm confident in Charlotte that like I think it's just going to be one of those cities to, to watch out for. But like I said, it's also definitely something where I, I, I need to get out. I'm so focused on getting this curative beta launch, but I need to kind of measure the atmosphere some more and kind of see where even curative fits in locally. 
What would you say has been the most important thing that you've learned since you started your business? Most important thing. It's actually something, and I think you mentioned this earlier on, that you don't have to have all of your ducks in a row to, you know, to be successful or to keep going. I definitely, it's almost like I, I feel like I'm, I've just been born and I'm learning to walk again. I'm learning to talk again. And so there's a lot of things that I don't know. And anyone who knows me knows that I don't like not knowing things. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I'm becoming more comfortable with just the unknown and not that I don't have a plan for sure, but um, still sometimes you don't know how you're going to get there. You have goals, but you're still trying to figure out how you're going to get there. And so just kind of reminding myself that it's okay if everything isn't 100% for certain. If you weren't doing this, like if you, I guess if you stayed at Complex perhaps, or maybe even if you decided not to go into design particularly, what do you think you would be doing? Sitting behind another computer and, and designing websites and identities and posters and all of that. And I'd probably be working my way up to creative director for sure, whether it was at Complex or at another studio. Yeah. So with Curative, do you have any, I know you kind of can't really talk too much about it, but outside of Curative, and we can sort of include it as well, do you have any sort of big plans coming up for next year? Well, for Curative, we will be doing like the official launch. Um, it's scheduled for spring and really, really Curative is really the only thing kind of in in, in view right now um, because like I said, I have to make it work. But other yeah, other than that, that's that's what I'm focused on. If you could choose any space in the world, it could be anywhere, and create a design for it, let's say, where would it be and what do you think you'd make? The first thing that comes to mind is a library. I don't know which one it would be, but libraries, because it's almost like in a library, you're in a place, but because you're surrounded by books that have a lot of different settings, you're actually like simultaneously in one place and in a lot of places. What would I make? I would probably make something like a wayfinding system. And I know it's been done before, but I really enjoy type and language. So it would probably be like super type driven. Yeah. And maybe there would be quotes everywhere. I don't know. But it would, have, it would definitely have to involve books and type. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, hopefully I would you know, be doing some traveling and talking more about you know, my work at Curative and just kind of being a businesswoman. That's Where would you like to travel? <laughs> well, just traveling as far as, you know, meeting people, making contacts. But I've always been curious about like Chicago and and um, New England states. Yeah, those are kind of the two places I would definitely like to visit more often. Chicago is really nice. Chicago has a really interesting design scene also. Yeah. But Chicago is really nice just, you know, architecturally and and everything. Of course, you want to go when it's warm and it's yeah. not covered in snow, but Chicago's really nice. It's really nice. Well, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find you online? Well, first, I'm going to throw out my curative address. Curative is C-U-R-A-T-I-V dot C-O. And then if you want to learn a little bit more about me and um, check out a little bit of my work, it's just arianafarkison.com. That's A-R-I-A-N-A-F as in Frank, A R. Q-U-H-A-R-S-O-N.com. All right. Sounds good. Ariana Farkerson, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day. Thank you for 
really just sort of telling us about Curative. I'm really excited to see it launch, and I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. So thank you so much. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. that's it for this week's show big thanks to ariana farkerson and of course thanks to you for listening you can find out more about ariana's work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com don't forget about our audience survey that's at revisionpath.com forward slash survey fill that out you'll be entered for a chance to win a 100 amazon.com gift card survey closes on wednesday new year's eve so please go ahead fill that out today Big thanks to Jonathan Conway for sponsoring this week's episode. And thanks again to our always amazing sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. They have really great templates that work with any email client and their customer service is top notch. If you've sort of been on the fence about doing email marketing, the first of the year is a great time to get in on it. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. They give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code NIA, that's N-I-A at checkout. Get that domain you want now before someone else scoops it up. Lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators around the globe. Make sure to check out their Pay It Forward bundle, as well as those free goods that come out every Monday, creativemarket.com. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre, with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, They See Me Growing, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps get the word out about the show, helps us get new listeners. And I will read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level to show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.